Yo, I've got a few thank yous to make uh, at the start of this one. After our first HR guest party, which was held on, where are we? Yeah, last Friday. Big thank you to Fat Snags, who did the catering. Fatsnags.com did some awesome, did some, did loads of awesome hot dogs. Um, I had a, I had a proper spicy one. It's delicious. But you can find them at Fatsnags.com. They are based in the West Midlands and uh, they travel around and do catering for all sorts of events. They also were very generous and have, have made a donation to, um, to the charities that were being supported at that event, uh, which are which were uh, Team Rubicon and 353. So that will go out to them. Thank you very much, Fat Snags. Also, the Old Lemontonians Rugby Club and their staff for hosting us, hosting the event, all the people that came along. Even late into the night, they were fantastic. Uh, Mike Valance, who was key in um, organising the event with me, uh, I say with me, he did pretty much all of it himself, along uh, with Rugby for Heroes. So thanks to all those guys for a superb event and everyone who turned up. It was awesome. Um, and lastly, uh, Becky's Brownies, who were very kind and put on a load of free brownies for the event, passing around, gave everyone a chocolate hemorrhage. Um, and they've actually got... Uh, an up- upcoming event at Digbeth Dining Club, which is this Sunday. And they've got another one after that at Warwick Market on the 22nd of December. Remember, that's the pure mouth pleasure that I was talking about last time. And that was eating last Friday. Everyone was eating. It was awesome. They're now taking orders as well for mixed Christmas boxes of brownies. You can find their order details on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The order deadline, if you want to get those brownies ordered for Christmas, the order deadline is the 12th of December, so you haven't got long left. Get online. I do believe if you hashtag uh, pure mouth pleasure, you'll probably find the first thing that comes up is Becky's Brownies. You can find Becky's Brownies at beckysbrownies.co.uk. That's B-E-K-I-S brownies.co.uk. A mother and daughter duo that are doing amazing things and have been doing amazing things since 2015. And they regularly trade at Warwick Market. So if you can't catch them at the events over the next couple of weeks, you can go and catch them at Warwick Market. They're there all the time. Thank you very much to those guys. Also sponsoring us today are Westway Nissan. Westway Nissan are the UK's largest Nissan dealership operating all over the UK. They get exclusive deals with Nissan, which means that uh, there's only cer- there's certain makes and models of Nissan that you can only get at Westway Nissan. They also do up to 20% discount for ex-military and serving military personnel on their vehicles they do private and commercial vehicles new and used so if you're looking to get a new vehicle get along to them and have a look don't forget as well you can also get higher contracts with them you can also if you are looking at getting out of the military or you're already out i'm not quite sure what you're doing um work-wise career-wise they are keen on employing ex-military personnel so you can check out westbinnissan.co.uk for either looking at purchasing vehicles, hiring vehicles, or, like I said, if you're looking for work, they can help you out. They will employ you if they can. The MD is ex-military himself, Anna, his son was sadly killed in Afghanistan um, on uh, on Operation Herrick. Uh, so the ties from that company to the military are the strongest you will find. Westwaynissan.co.uk, Westwaynissan on social media. Finally, sponsors today are Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon are a disaster response charity. They're formed chiefly of ex-military volunteers who go and deploy overseas and in the UK when needs be to, to, to deal with disasters where people are in 
dire straits and need help. They're currently out delivering critical aid to the people of Palu in Indonesia because of the recent earthquake and tsunami. At least 2,000 people are dead, 83,000 people displaced, and half a million children have been affected. Unfortunately, we're hitting monsoon season now out there, and uh, Team Rubicon are trying everything they can to prevent more catastrophe when the monsoon season hits with all these people displaced. They're after help today, be that sign up to be a volunteer, or if you can provide a donation of some way, shape or form, any amount, large or small, anything you can do to help. You can go to teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate to donate, um, and you can go to teamrubiconuk.org to volunteer. I have literally yesterday volunteered myself to become a grey shirt what they call grey shirts so they're the volunteers that go out and, and deploy out uh, when they can when you can deploy out to assist in, in disaster in disaster response um so for what in, that has entailed for me so far i went on the website teamrubiconuk.org so signed up um doesn't cost anything you sign up saying you want to volunteer then they put me through into a portal got a password got access and you go through a bunch of questionnaires i say a bunch a small amount of questionnaires just basic basic details off you and you start your training they team rubicon provide the training for free so i've got some training courses to do online basic stuff ticking the boxes do some terms and conditions and stuff like that um i then i will at some point i'll be penciled onto a an actual course where i'll go away and train and do some things with team rubicon at their training locations i don't know where those are yet but i'm sure they would tell me uh also i think they do a the dbs check involved and a few various things so i mean like i said yesterday i signed up um and from the way it works from having richard sharp on the previous show if you're thinking that when you sign up when you, if they get a call up to deploy you have to go it's not the case basically get a bleeper if you're one of the people selected as part of that disaster response initial call out then your bleeper goes off and you decide whether you can deploy or not it may not it may not be possible if you deploy at that point for family reasons work reasons and they understand that but the point is having the volunteers in the box so they can get initial teams together to deploy so if you can't deploy then just they'll go and approach someone else who is part of the team as well which is awesome so teamrubiconuk.org to check that out and uh, and also donate if you can the show today is with a lady a woman a very strong, professional, and accomplished woman called Liz Murray. She is ex-RAF, ex-Army. She left as a major, and she is now working as the Cybersecurity UK lead for HSBC. Had a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Um, also, a dog, Oscar, was in the studio, which was very nice. Oscar the Spaniel. And uh, he did not get involved in the conversation, apart from a bit of grumbling sometimes, where he, I think he was getting bored with me waffling. It's not like me. It was a great show. Really, really good advice actually regarding um, transitioning out of the military, her experiences, and um, in and out of the military, and uh, her time working a, on Telic One in Iraq as part of the Battle Space Management, working alongside, uh, I think there's a Marine Expeditionary Force, is what we said. Yeah, the Marines. Liz Murray, hey, Chower. Enjoy. Was that a grumble? That was the dog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he talks. You, uh, <laughs> um, Liz, welcome. Thank and, you. Uh, and uh, Oscar seems... 
bored before we started. <laughs> <laughs> grumble away. He will grumble uh, and he'll probably go to sleep uh, in a bit once he's listened to us talk for a Oscar, while. Oscar's the dog for people yeah. listening. Oh, well, you may you may catch a glimpse if you're watching. Um, we were talking off air. What yeah. interested me? Well, what interested me before you came on the cyber security side? What you do now, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll come on to. So you have a cyber security role in in Civic Street. Yeah. Uh, your background is. Um, I'll ask. I'll ask you to elaborate on it. Okay. Is uh. XRF, XRF. Unusual. It is unusual, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the, the fact that, uh, so you're talking about the fact that your cybersecurity role now, you didn't think you'd, you, it was something that would be an option for you getting out. But then you talk now that your background in the military, anyone's background in the military almost can set you up for a cybersecurity role. So, <clears throat> so. It'll definitely come on to that because it really surprised me. You know, yeah, yeah. What was that two minutes ago we were talking? <laughs> Tell me uh, your background. What came first, RAF or Army? The RAF, which is why it's such an unusual way around because okay. I went from liking hotels to, you know, from checking in to digging in, as you would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was an air traffic controller in the Air Force. That's what I joined. I wanted to do that since I was nine years old. I knew from the age of nine, my parents indoctrinated me and my brothers really well. And I knew from the age of nine that I wanted to join the military. I was about 11 or 12, I think, when I focused and realised that probably air traffic would really suit me. And it did. And I absolutely loved it. I joined um, after a little bit of a, what's the word? False start, I guess. I joined when I was 24 um, after a few other odds and sods. I had a little bit of life experience. And um, I joined, went through officer training straight away and went to my first unit which was Coningsby via a hold at Waddington and that's really important because that's quite an interesting little uh, thing I went to Waddington to hold in the air show office after I'd finished officer training in the Waddington air show big RAF air show used to be phenomenal they don't run it there anymore because they've basically got too many people working there and it's just too big to to do and so um, we saw this air show office it used to be run by ex-military and then a whole load of holding officers and stuff used to come in to man the phones. So I was sitting in the middle of this um, porter cabin with no windows, facing out, well, faced out to a car park and taking photos, uh, sorry, phone calls from people who would ring up and go, eh, excuse me, I'm stood in the spotter's car park outside and two Italian F5s have just landed. Could you tell me the tail number of the one on the left? Like that, yeah. <laughs> really sorry. You're actually going to have to pay to come into the air show. <laughs> And I can't see anything because oh I've got no windows. God. So it was quite, so that, that was relatively interesting. I was also holding in air traffic there as well. Um, and the reason that's key is because 20 years later, I finished my military career on the other side of the car park in an office facing the place that I'd started 20 years previously. <laughs> you weren't, you weren't plane spotting, though, were you? No, not at all. What, what? I couldn't even see the runway from there. <laughs> What's worse, plane spotters or uh, plane spotters, train spotters or twitchers? Oh, crikey train i think because i don't understand that I, I i get a real i get a real buzz out of watching aircraft we li- i live near scampton my parents have their garden backs onto where they are you know where the red arrows um mm-hmm. practice and seriously there is nothing quite like watching them and, and i'm gonna hold my hands up and i'm really sorry to many of my mates that listen to it i am a bit of a red arrow spotter and i'm so sorry <laughs> but um there was actually nothing better than watching them do their craft because it's phenomenal i've never seen it have you not not, just the close flying is superb and i've been really privileged um through some charity work that i've done with the john egging trust to sit in on some of their briefings and they are incredible um in what way well the briefings are incredible yeah absolutely so 
going through what you tell it, you're an officer <laughs> <laughs> well no because they go through what 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 they're going to do what they're going to practice um what they need to improve on and it's it's really straight down the line but as they're walking and talking through it the guys are there doing the hand movements of what their hand movements in the cockpit's going to be and they reckon that by the time they start their season they could fly it fly it blindfolded should they need to Goodness so it, it's it's absolutely incredible and, and watching them go through and work out when and it's kind of like yeah i need to be a little bit further up on that my flaps need to be there i need to do this that and the other and you kind of sort of go that's incredible and i and i was there with a group of school children who actually a really special group of school children i, I volunteer with the john egging trust um, What's that trusted for? So John Egging was a Red Arrows pilot who okay. died at, um, I think it was Bournemouth Air Show. Um, which, that was the most recent one? Uh, no, I think Sean was more recent. Oh, sorry, than him, okay. I think. But they, they were around, the, there were a few around the same kind of time. And no, the, then there was one at Anglesey last year, which was um, very tragically killed their engineer. Um, but John's wife, Emma, Dr. Emma Egging, said that he'd had this kind of dream to um, facilitate your kids who don't usually get a chance so the kids who are the grace kids kids at school or they come from a background that isn't going to enable them to succeed because the expectation isn't there and just for the want of getting a positive role model then they could really really achieve and we see just amazing results you have kids who are carers who have um, or, or come from rural rurally poor backgrounds which is really interesting whose perception of achieving is to go and work in the local pub and then suddenly uh, you know they go oh, I want to be a cook uh, I'll go and work in the local pub and suddenly you, you're able to open up some leadership and some teamwork with them and then, then they're going oh I don't want to work in the local pub I want to be a proper chef I want to go to catering and it is that kind of changing their their parameters and their views just just by getting them involved in something and showing them that there's more out there in the world and, and so the, it, it's incredible so I worked with them and, and we one of the first things we do is this bit of shock and awe piece of taking them to the to Scampton and they sit and they watch a Red Arrows brief they get a tour around the jet they get to sit in the jet how old are they? Um, those kids are 13 awesome. they're, they're, and they just they kind of sit their eyes wide and if I tell you that some of them won't even they don't want to go up the stairs because they're too I'm not going to get up the steps into that jet I'm too frightened <clears> to get into that jet you know no 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 and then you coax them into doing it and you just make it a little bit of fun and then they get to go and sit and watch the Red Arrows brief which people pay thousands for if it you know if if it ever gets up to auction, you know, the, the price is one of those money can't buy auction prizes, you know, and these kids get to sit there and I really don't think they appreciate quite what a special thing that is. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, they come away from there having, you know, spent time with the Reds and had them brief them. It, it's absolutely fantastic. And then what we do is go and take normal um, everyday leadership tasks that you would do at any kind of um military training where no matter what level that's at whether that's at kind of lance corporal level and uh, you know all the leadership courses going up um you take those and you turn them into something that school children can do and you get do the teamwork with them in the first year and then the second year is teamwork and leadership and then the third year is more leadership and they do communications and they blossom it, it's like watching a flower open they're blooming amazing um and and they don't know that it's all them it's all inside them and all we do is make them use it it's it you know you're empowering them and they're amazing so it's been a lot of fun doing that no, I, can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I just think that um that uh, how few children uh would get the opportunity to experience sort of a, the leadership and what do you call it the, the uh yeah the leadership and command 
task kind of yeah. training yeah. at that age, which you, which is not unusual, but to be delivered by sort of ex-military. And, and, and delivered like by military. I remember I've had to have taken a break since I've started my new job. But the great thing is that now I'm settled in, I can go back and say, right, what do you want me to do? Because I'm really looking forward to going back and maybe doing some one-to-one mentoring with some of their older kids, I think, is probably the way it's, it's going to work. But they're, they're reaching... Um, thousands of children now around the country so it started off very locally to lincolnshire and it now is, is countrywide but it's based around where the military bases are it's expanding all the time it's incredible so yeah. what, what year was that started sorry oh the john egging trust uh 20 you're gonna catch me I'm, well, uh, early early uh, early 20 20 teens i would say oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So so not, like, no yeah, not, not very long, long at all no how did we go on to that um, I was talking about the Red Arrows and how I was able to go and watch um, uh, the briefing and how I was actually just becoming a really, really bad aircraft spotter. As a <laughs> but that was, that was after your stint in the RAF? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was well after that. So I um, I did battle space management and worked with the army um, on the um, telec invasion of Iraq. Um, and I worked with OneDiv for that. Um, came who, out of who that. Who was OneDiv? Uh, so one one div army unit, uh, one one division, one United Kingdom army. Di- um, that was the main. That was, that was that was yeah. So I was working in the divisional headquarters. Yeah. Um, but who was part of one div? This is this is my ignorance now. Okay. As if as Se- a seven. Pa- seven. Well, yeah. Okay. There's seven. nothing about fire. There's no one else. <laughs> All right. Well, sixteen special needs. Sorry, sixteen air assault brigade. <laughs> we're part of. I've that before. Goodness me. We're part of one day. <laughs> so we had we had twenty brigade, seventh um, armored brigade, and um, and sixteen spe- uh, air assault brigade. Part of us. So the paras were there, and they were part of it. Right, and we had three yeah. commando brigade. Chop- Across to I us didn't as know well. until this moment. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that we were the higher quarters that sat above that. Sorry, just so with the battle space management, that mm-hmm. is three sixty up uh, ground air. Yeah. Well, I suppose it was um, those marine. As yeah, well. it, it was. They were under naval, <clears throat> and then they chopped across to the land. No, I mean, I mean, marine forces, as in navy. Yeah, Co- yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, but you have um, there's a there's a separation. The littoral, the, uh, the littoral battle space. So the um, the coast essentially so that you have the coastal area and then there's, there's a, a transition where navy commands that and then it comes across the land or what's the uh, transition area based on depth of it's, the depth it, it's it's basically it's basically the coast uh, they, 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 there's a line they go there we go there's like the coast five miles out or something yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, got you. So, okay cool yeah, yeah. How, what was your how, what what were you doing with the battle space management what was your role did um all of the kind of procedural planning um so that our aircraft could fly in our area and our guns could still fire essentially uh, must have been a nightmare not a nightmare but that it was complexity of liaising there was a lot with, of planning we were working for the, yeah. Amer- the Americans for the Americans yes because they were our higher headquarters again yeah. so we were working within their we were working for the Marine Corps um, ah. and they were actually really awesome because they're like they're about the same size or at the time they're about the same size as a Corps as we were as a military in total so <laughs> crazy <laughs> but they have their own air force within them they've got their own air force they've got their own navy and they've got their own army if you like so it was like very, it was very much like dealing with our own sort if you like it was quite a lot easier it was, it was really interesting looking at american command and control culture yeah and, and, and actually they were really cool to work for compared with in my opinion it would have been a lot more difficult to have been working for a pure army an american american yeah. army unit i think that would it's interesting um it, it, It'll, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on that working with them because from <clears throat> from my perspective uh, on the lower end of the scale when I work with the Americans um, and from what I've sort of researched on the way their training is and the way their 
just yeah the way they go about things it's completely different <clears throat> in that um like from 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 my end well you might know this you might not but for the for the benefit of, of other people and oscar oscar, oscar know this, right? no he probably doesn't oscar, yeah. right? <laughs> it's um sort of a basic level so we talk about infantry and we're talking about a platoon a platoon's made up in the in the uh i think it's roughly the same numbers mm-hmm. of like 30 ish probably they probably got more but 30 ish blokes or ladies now 30 ish um people 30 <laughs> soldiers yeah and they're split into three three units so three sections of i don't know let's say 10 um well i do know we'll say 10 for the sake of argument and then there's a platoon commander who runs the platoon and you've got a platoon sergeant sort of his uh psychic oh, it's a complete complete disservice to platoon sergeant it's not the case at all right so you got a platoon commander who runs the show and then you've got three sections you've got three section commanders so um and the way that uh, in the UK, a uh, platoon will be given the mission, the platoon commander will turn around at section commanders and go, right, I want you to go and take that bunker, for example. And in the UK, the soldiers will say, the session commander will go, okay, boss, he'll disappear. And he'll have like two minutes or whatever in terms of about how long has he got to, sometimes he won't have any time. Mm-hmm. He, the point is the session commander decides how he's going to do it because the platoon commander says, this is what I'm doing. And the platoon commander organises the other two session commanders to be able to support that mission. Mm-hmm. The session commander decides what to do. Correct. With the Americans, the platoon commander says, right, I need you to take this bunker, and this is how you're going to do it. Yeah, they're, they're a lot more prescriptive, and it's also one man, one job as well. So so, so their, I think their take on mission command is not as good as ours. I think the British military is great at trusting. We, we do trust, we, we empower our soldiers, sailors, and airmen with an awful lot of responsibility. And to do that, you have to have trust and you know that they've been trained really, really well and you trust that training and you, you <clears throat> trust what they've been told to do and that they'll go and carry it out. Um, and, you know, they always come up trumps. It, it, or very rarely, very rarely do they not. And if they haven't, it's, it's not because, not usually not for want of trying. Um, you're right, the Americans are very procedural. This is how you're going to do it. This is how it ha- is going to happen. And you've got to go from A to B and, you, and you've got to go via A1, B1, you know, A, A1, A2 and A3. And if you find A3 is um, right, no, compromised, then you, you come back. Whereas our guys would go, right, A1, well, I can't quite get there, but I'll just go via D, E and F and I can still achieve it because they'll work around it. Mm-hmm. Because we all know that no plan survives first contact as it is. So it doesn't matter. The, the minute you step out of wherever you're stepping out of, the plan changes immediately and you're reactive. And because we empower our guys so well, they're able to just be really flexible of thought and, and, and come up with a way that they can achieve what they've been told to do rather than going, oh, yeah, sorry, can't do it. We'll go back or, mm-hmm. or extract or whatever. So from mm-hmm. your, your end, then, that, that high level that you're operating at, from that, that battle space experience, management experience in um, Telic 1, mm-hmm. what, what, was, what did you see? Is the, why did you... What was your what? How what was your differences between the UK and the and the USA side of it? Because you were saying you preferred it, uh, no, no, in, no, a, in a way. No, I, I think it was the fact that we were working for the Marine Corps rather than working for the Army. Okay. Um, so the, if we'd been working for the US Army, that we, we went. I, re- I remember this one particular meeting, and we'd been in it for all all day. And the guy that I was there with and I had the ability to make decisions on behalf of the UK's Army division that was there we were empowered to go and say this is what we will do um and we sat there in this meeting and and my my one up couldn't believe that i was spending all this time in meetings like where are you we need you here it's like if we don't go to these meetings we're not going to get the airspace and the battle space to work in and uh (laughs) we're at this meeting we sat there all day you know 
like seven or eight hours or something going through making all these decisions going yeah okay so we'll do this and you'll do that and, and you'll go there and, and we'll have this bit and, and we'll carve it all up and this is how it's going to work and right at the end these two full bird american colonels went right so we'll come back tomorrow to ratify the decisions that we've made today and we were all like excuse me what now we're going to no 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 we just told you we could do this yeah we've got to take this up to our generals and give them the agreement so you, and this is where this procedural thing came right, in yeah, right. because they, they even they at that level were not empowered to make decisions it was it was it, that was really telling and, and and the one thing i had to do was actually physically take people down to be in front of the person who was coordinating their special thing so one thing that stands out is unmanned air vehicles their perception of what our hours could do at the time it was phoenix versus <laughs> versus what level theirs were playing yeah. and, and i think for the benefit of of um people who are listening they were looking at something in tens of thousands of feet and we were looking at something that could just about achieve two grand if we were lucky and well, certainly the, not in the heat the, the phoenix is hand launched isn't it yeah it was off a bungee wasn't it yeah, it was, it yeah, was a, yeah. yeah. I, I got a few of those that crashed well what, <laughs> there were a lot that crashed really? what else is there what was the other one they had uh, there was phoenix and there was um oh we've had a few now because there's quite a few that it wasn't that one yeah. launched at the same time i don't know what it was and uh but the americans were operating then on the predators weren't they yeah yeah, yeah. so so kind of and, and so when we're saying look i just need some airspace they're like, oh right you know what you can just crack on in your area with those <laughs> yeah, thank mm -hmm. you very much but i had to physically take the the CO of that regiment to go and meet the guy that was coordinating the airspace because the CO of the um, Phoenix yeah. unit right? okay, yeah. got you. so it, which was really telling and, and, and again that comes down to the, the kind of the trust issue and I remember mm. one notable occasion I needed to speak to somebody private American private soldier on the, the end of the phone she would have been a marine on the end of the uh, field telephone and she was speaking to the person that I needed to speak to and I you know Marine Smith please may I have that phone to speak to Captain Blah and she put it down because I hadn't gone through her gunnery sergeant oh, God. <laughs> who was actually quite fierce she was little and ginger I know a few little ginger people one of them is a really good mate and she's amazing this one was just a little bit scary and a bit a little bit scary. What's wrong with ginger? Nothing at all. Well, if you had a brown hair, <laughs> I have you said little and brown hair. No, no, not. Yeah, yes, I would. <laughs> I'd have called her a pocket rocket or something. <laughs> yeah. I have a ginger gene, so I don't go, <laughs> go sunbathing. <laughs> I end up with lobster as a colour rather. <laughs> I ended rather up. Than uh, I ended up. Uh, I used to say, out, out there all the time. I said out there, out in sunny, flipping, mm -hmm. warm countries. I, I don't. My arms, my face. Well, my legs are still white. My arms and my face, I just don't burn. It just doesn't mm. happen. It just doesn't happen. I, I go a bit brown. People yeah. Say, Where have you been? Yeah. But then take the top <laughs> off. It's like squatty, squatty town. You know? Squatty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more fetching than that on a female. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, battleface management. So what? So after that was. Hang on a minute. That so was, that was 2003. It was RAF. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I was RAF right. in an army cool. unit. Came back from that. And went to two amazing years um, doing Hercules landing zones in the middle of nowhere. That was wicked. That was really good fun. Hercules landing zones in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, kind of either beaches or um, out into um, interesting Operations places. Operations. I, I only ever did it on exercise because there was nothing else going on at the time that we needed to. It was it was between um, between the really um, meaty stuff in Telic and before Afghanistan had kicked off. Mm -hmm. And just as I was leaving, we were looking at scoping for Bastion. Um, oh right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're telling me Hercules landed on beaches? Yeah. Oh, 
because the once the once the water goes out, the sand compacts, so it becomes like concrete. You can't do it on all on every beach, and and we test, but people will people can see it on Taunton Sands. In fact, I think Top Gear did a um, thing on Pendine, Pendine oh, really? Sands, and they had a car on there at the same time as the Herc was on there. Uh, I, yeah, I would have thought it, I thought it still it would bed itself in. But... No, it do, it doesn't unless the unless there's an onshore breeze and then it gets a little bit sporty. You have anything got pear shaped in that? My last, my very last one <laughs> was was it was it all of the um, all of the minima? So it was all of the minima that I could get to. So it was it was it was one knot off the top wind speed that I needed on crosswind. The the yeah. the sand was. Um, I think one off being soft that I would have to have phoned back for authorization. And it was literally, it was all just coming to, it was like the perfect storm. And I'm sitting there going, right. And I was literally going through the books going, right, I'm legal on that. I'm legal on that. I'm legal <laughs> on that. I'm le- yes, I'm legal on that as well. And just kind of go, yeah, we're good. Which is a good thing because it was already on the, on the sand. It was just the fact that they, um, they wanted to put some more kit on the board. And, and I said, like, right, okay, I can probably allow you to get the kit on board. That will make you that heavy, which means you need this amount of space. Yeah. See, so was your sorry to go back was your first role as an air traffic controller yeah so fast jet so, air traffic so control so the way you went then through the RAF was that a natu- is that sort of the natural route progression in terms of promotion well yeah. I don't mean natural by easy I mean just that, that sort of route not, up n- not really it was a bit of an unusual one I I realised that <clears throat> there was a I, I, I understood how air traffic control could be applied to land and I, and I went on a course that did it, and that was I found that really interesting in, in terms of splitting it across to the battle space. Because if you can see in three D, mm-hmm. then then the natural element to add in is the land and the bullets going through. And I could understand how that worked, and I, it just really interested me. And, and, I, and I thought that was really I, I just thought it was really interesting. And I thought I actually thought I could add value, so I kind of put myself forward for it a bit, and and then got picked for that for the other job with the hooks. I must stop bashing this microphone. <laughs> you, you want me to leave it on the Okay, that's, that's fine. It um, doesn't mean keep bashing it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so it was, no, I was very unusual. And then uh, I came back from, I, I finished that job and went up and got posted up to Lossy Mouth, which wasn't, um, wasn't great. Far north Sounds of like Scotland. 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 Far north yeah. of Scotland. Yeah. I arrived up there on the 26th of January and it rained okay. every single day till the 6th of May when I came back down south. <laughs> so, what, what was the end of the RAF career then? I was up at Lossie. Um, <laughs> there were some interesting things going on. I wasn't massively happy up there. Um, I'd been given a bit of a, an ultimatum about promoting. I would have to go to the school or, or area radar, and I, the school is the air traffic school, which would have been a great place to have gone. It just wasn't really for me at the time. <sighs> And yeah, and and um, not at your level, lower, lower level. No, 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 no. And and um, the CEO of regiment that I that I'd known from an exercise that I'd done back in uh, two thousand and two arrived up at Lossy Mouth with the rapier. Um, the the RAF gave rapier the air defence capability over to um, the army. Oh, okay. Um, and it was their last um, standards and evaluation exercise. And this guy walks into the mess. Liz Murray, good to see you. What the fucking hell are you still doing wearing blue? You've got a green core and when are you coming across? <laughs> His words. I'll never forget it. I was going to say, Colonel Barry, nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we had quite a long chat and, and I'd been looking for, to transfer for a little bit because I wasn't massively happy where I was and I couldn't see, I couldn't see a means of staying in the Air Force and, and, and doing anything that I wanted. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew mm-hmm. I couldn't really stay in the air traffic branch at that time. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, so yeah. So what happened? <clears throat> Took a year, and I transferred to the um, 
to the gunners. You, you took a year? It, it took a year. Oh, it took a year. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Okay, only because yeah. I had to go through a variety of... I had to go and do West, Westbury as an exemption candidate, which is if you, if you apply to the army, you go to Westbury for pre-regular uh, commission board, which is a kind of... Um, the leadership exercises and tests and that kind of stuff, um, just to see if you fit. Now, it was really interesting going there as a serving officer because I was with people who were... Non, not commissioned at all and, and it was a really difficult balancing act because the guy that was in charge of my syndicate was the same rank as me and i was i, I was already uh, had already had more um, seniority than he did so first of all i had to go and prove that i could lead what because, rank were you at the time i was a flight lieutenant and he was a captain so i was captain equivalent yeah um and and so you have this thing of right i can lead but i also have to prove i can follow I have to prove that I'm that I'm savvy enough and, and emotionally intelligent enough to be able to do that, and and yet I've still got to push myself forward. And it was what that right? Okay, this is going to be an interesting one to uh, to do. Must mm. have done all right because they accepted me and pulled me in, so it's fine. So I that's surprised because I, I thought the the commission was the commission was a commission, I and mean, you just you just transfer and go and do your trade training kind of thing. The commission is a commission, uh, but they have to take you into the into the service that you're moving into. Oh, yeah. So. Um, so well, I actually, I didn't get a new commissioning scroll or anything like that. Um, but I, I finished on the Friday at Lossiemouth, talked down my last aircraft um, on onto the ground, which was actually a mate of mine, which was great. Oh. And then um, drove down south and took over a load of logistics stuff, which was completely outside of my comfort zone. And I don't mind saying I held on by my fingernails and propped up by some right. amazing, <laughs> amazing juniors and seniors who were just fantastic. What was the, what kind of logistics stuff were you doing? So I took over a signal store, um, an armory. Oh my God. Um, some vehicles. Oh no. I think there were 100 and odd vehicles of which there were, um, I think 82 off, were actually off-road and not fit for anything. And my guys were away. So my guys were all away in Iraq doing another, no. another job. Um, it was an interesting time. And, and when the battery came back, which was sort of, you know, my very loud dog having, a, having a drink there. Um, <laughs> um, when my guys came back, they, just they dug out blind to to sort it, and and one guy in particular, Birdie, was amazing. Um, and he's now he's W O two gusting W O one, superb, top top bloke. And without them, they'd come up to me and nudge me and go, "Mom, do you think you should be signing this documentation?" But think I probably should be. <laughs> <laughs> what am I signing for, and when am I doing it next time? So I, I made no bones of like, guys, I am you know I'm running blind on this. I need some help. So in in the the differences in the RAF, you are officer trained and then you become a specialist in your field so you are a pilot in air traffic or whatever so you have this kind of professional qualification wrong profession within it the qualification doesn't quite have read across into civvy street which which is i think designed to keep you in the in the uh, um in, in the raf and then um you when you go to the army you're an officer first above all else and your specialism is almost irrelevant. You you go and do some training within it, but actually once once you get so if you you're a gunnery officer, you commission into the Royal Artillery, but you are an officer first, and then you go and do your specialize specialization so that they can basically put you into any role and know that you will lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting differences. The other one, I don't know if it happens with. Well, I don't think it does happen with the army. Is that a? Oh, I might happen with the army actually. I think it's uh, what we're leaving. No, it's fine. It's just that he's the, the, the dog scratching. I don't, I don't give you a minute. Is that when a captain promotes to a major? I might get this wrong. I think they all have to do staff college. 
Staff College. No, a, an element of infantry um, command training. Oh, there's yeah, there's there's in order to promote, you have to have done a variety of different courses. Yeah, yeah, um, I'd yeah. got an, I'd got exemptions because I was kind of I'd had my seniority, but then I went to Staff College afterwards. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah. Apart from that, how did you? Apart from those differences you just described, what was it like? Um, what was in general? What was your experience being an officer in the army compared to being an officer in the army? Um, what was preferable from a from a the way you you could command and the way you were commanded? I, it's a difficult one because I had really great leaders in both. I, I saw some really great leadership in both, and I saw some really poor leadership in both, yeah. and. Um, the way those leaders exerted their authority was very different. Um, but there are still, there are still people in both services that I would follow to the ends of the earth and not just out of curiosity. And then there's some of them that I wouldn't follow through a door just in case. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's a really tricky one because the thing that used to frustrate me was that the, there's a snobbery between services, which is, it's there and it's a rivalry and, and, and I get it. But actually, if the army would take on board some of the stuff the RAF does, and they're a bit more relaxed about, and, and, about? and vice versa, there we go, <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa, they'd both be it, they would both be really amazing, amazing um, places to be all of the time. I think it, I think the one thing I didn't like particularly about the army was that some of the regiments do not value wrong. Some of the officers in some of the regiments are really poor about the way they refer to their men. Um, and it, uh, and I used to get quite frustrated because, to my mind, everybody had a value and everybody has an intelligence. And to make an assumption about somebody because of their rank is a terrible thing to do. Because I know that the only reason I joined as an officer is because I didn't want to work my way up to be an air traffic controller by starting right at the bottom. Because I had the qualifications, I went, right, well, right, I'm going to go in at that level. I could have joined at, at base level and, and come all the way up through the ranks. And I chose to not because I'm too lazy to do that, basically. I I have two brothers, neither of whom were commissioned. Both of whom are more intelligent than I am. Um, and and so when I used to hear people refer to um, guys just quite just in quite a derogatory manner as though uh, as though their guys were, were stupid, that used to really wind me up. Because um, we could say rank, like your, tom, your Tom's a fucking morons or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like, absolutely, like, that kind of thing. And you just kind of go... But but they're not. And, and just because they're that rank doesn't mean they're stupid. And actually, if they're telling you something, they're telling you something for a reason. I, I've never... Ah, they're less different. Do, do, I, what, I was thinking, what I was thinking there was, is that um, when you were saying, well, you know, refer, generally referring to Tom's or... Oh, no, I'm talking, uh, oh, like, no, no. no. We, we all do. It's a cultural thing. You always do. You, no, no, that, that, always, that always happens. But it's, it's when someone comes... Be dismissive of... Uh, being dismissive of somebody's opinion just because of the rank they're at, even actually... It yeah, might, it, bollocks. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it, yeah. it might not be... Um, it might not be expressed in the way they, they're expecting to hear it or that they would hear it from their peers... But actually, it's still valid. And if they're if they're raising a concern, then you should be bloody <clears throat> listening because they're raising it for a reason. And and it, that, it, but it used to wind me up that people would would take that. So that and, and that's something you don't see in the RF as much because actually everybody's there with a specific trade and they're and they're doing a job I for see, a reason. Yeah. And, and so those those are probably the the two major differences that yeah. I saw. I think. Well, yeah, I think I'd be quite unit specific as well. I, I, I um uh certainly wasn't where I was, and I, I know a lot of my peers weren't like that mm-hmm. but but then uh, but then i worked with a, a tiny 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 fraction of my unit yeah. uh, of, of, the, of the of the army and you know I'm, um others may not be the same but the thing i mean and that what you're saying there that um having that ability to accept anyone's opinion but 
the, the first thing in my mind you think because that goes across anything not the military anything yeah, you know, in any 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 company organization whatever and for me the the first thing you should that the first positive thing you pop in your head is regardless of whether it's a moronic comment it's almost like brainstorming no answer is a stupid answer because the one thing that that person's got that you haven't got and you can never have what they've got is the different perspective absolutely i say yeah. you can't you know you can't and, and you don't always have to follow what they say but if you just take into <laughs> yeah. account and go oh, okay yeah. and and then that's where you go you almost like a risk, risk assessment if someone's telling you something you go, okay so i'm hearing what they're saying i understand why they're saying it i also know that it's mitigated because of this this and this or hmm interesting I don't think we've done anything about that. Let's go and have a look at it and see. So, so it's, it's either because you've got the not that you've got knowledge of what it is that you're doing, or or you you've gone. Oh, actually, they've brought something up that I hadn't thought about. And and a lot of the old and bold people have got a load a load of knowledge, mm. and they watch the real get wheel get reinvented, and they sit there and go, "Oh, here we go. We've got a square wheel again, and we'll turn mm. that into a round. We'll knock the edges off in a bit, and then we'll get back to where we were ten years ago." <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting perspective on the mm. army. Um, so, what year did you transfer? Two thousand seven. And you were there for or the army for how long? So ten years there and thereabouts. Where did yeah. you finish off? Finished off at Waddington, working in the Air Battle Space Training Centre, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> across the car. Are you which talking which, about, which yeah. was in a hang, which is based in a hangar, um, immediately across the car park from where I started my oh, career. Goodness yeah. me. Um, what? Yeah. So battle, battle space training center. Training center. It basically what? teaches. Um, it, it's really cool. There's some stuff on YouTube where they went in to have a look at them, so that you can look it up on YouTube. Um, there's it, it basically teaches 3D awareness um, and operational decision making mm-hmm. um, to a variety of, of units. And, and I went there initially because we were training gunner units, so Royal Artillery units, to go out to um, Afghanistan. Um, and then I went back there after. Um, after my back injury, actually, and that was a, a it was a it was a good place to go to because it was a, a, a Royal Artillery post and it was somewhere that I could recover and get better. And I was actually given the space to get better there. It was amazing. So, you know, when we're talking about bosses, I probably wouldn't have had that space to have recovered in under an army boss, but I did under an RAF boss. So it's you know it's, it's six and two threes. Really. What was the injury? I got kicked in the back by a horse and ended up having to relearn oh, to walk. This yeah, you it was a, it was a completely yeah. ridiculous injury that happened. <clears throat> I'm, I'm a bit of a believe in fate um and, and and fate you end up where you i think you end up where you're supposed to be uh, and if you're not going the right way something happens to to force you down that road and that seems a, like a little bit weird the unit i was due to go to on the monday to start my new job i hadn't been able to find it and there's only so many times you can go to a base and say please can you tell me where where, where the front door is for that and like i've done three times and at the time my hair was quite blonde um it's a bit purple now it's still blonde but it's got some purple bits in it and um and there's only so many times you can go to the guard room and go, uh, excuse me, I don't know where that is. Could you let, could you show me where it is? Literally couldn't find the front door. Um, and um, so, right, okay, we'll find it when the flags are up. I'm sure there'll be flags up on Monday. It'll be fine. And this was the Sunday night. And I'd never been able to visualise myself going in day one, which had never happened to me before either. I'd always been able to imagine myself walking in to a place day one. It'd never be quite been what I'd expected, but I'd always been able to visualise it before. And on the, for this particular job, I'd never been able to, um, which was all a bit random. And on the Sunday... You mean you, you tried and you weren't able to, or you just hadn't... Happened? Tried tried and hadn't been able mm, that's to. That's interesting. Yeah. And then on the Sunday night, this... Um, because I like to prepare. So, you know, you sit there and you go, okay, so on day one, I'm going to do this. So how, what am I going to do? I'm going to get all my kit prepped. I'm going to make sure that I've um, just after stuff. I've got some cash because I don't know where the 
what the the meal arrangement is and i won't have had a mess number by then so so you just start sort of to get all that stuff sorted couldn't get that squared in my head for this particular job when you bear in mind that by that point i'd been in for 13 years it was a little bit weird that i couldn't mm. do that I, I should have been able to what was the job like 16 years that that was a job uh, it was an army job um in an army unit um so so the, there was that and um yeah and then i i went and picked up all my stuff from a garage on another army unit that i'd Basically, before summer leave, I'd ironed all my kit and left it there so that I could just drive down and pick it up and, and go to where I was living. And and, uh, and met some random thing. The dog went into a field with a horse and um, I got permission from the woman that owned the horse to go in and, and get him. And Oh, he what, ran off? Oscar ran off? Uh, yeah, there was a bitching season amongst a pack of dogs that the woman who owned the horse had yeah. um, that shouldn't have been on the base. But there we go. It's something completely different. And um, yeah, and he went off. So as I went over to get him, <clears throat> to get him the horse was really docile. Um, walked towards the um, the group of dogs. I checked that the horse was. I knew the horse had come over behind me. I'd actually spoken to it on the way across. You know, I've, I've ridden all my life, mm. um, and well, since I was three, since I was actually able to sit on a horse. Like pretty much all your life. Pretty yeah. much all my life. In fact, I used to ride around here where, where we're oh, really? recording. Yeah, yeah, not very far away at all. And um, yeah, so checked that the horse was uh, f- facing me, and it was behind me. It was behind my right shoulder, and it was. And it was it was facing me, and it was a good distance away. As I leant forward to put Oscar back on his lead, I hit the deck on my face, and it turned around and tried to double barrel me. And then it came back to try and trample my head while I was stuck on the ground. Really? Yeah, really. What, what, I, what triggered the horse? Um, it had that in it, and there were no oh signs. Of, it was it, it was a complete psycho horse. Nobody else would go near it, and it wasn't allowed. To, there were supposed to be no other horses in the field with it either. Uh. No signs, no nothing. I had a really good case for swimming, but it was just another plate to spin. I'd preferred to get walking and, and I could never, um, I could never have put someone through having to have their animal put down for any reason. If I'd have gone for an insurance claim, which I could have done, then ultimately that would have resulted, the, the stuff that would have come out would have been. What would have been the horse down with that? Really? I, I think it would have happened because, it was, da- because it was dangerous. And I, it might not have done, but I catastrophized yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah, catastrophized yeah, it yeah. to the point that it would, and I couldn't be responsible for somebody doing that or for somebody losing a load of money either for what had been an accident. What you was know? a horse? Thoroughbred or something nutty? It was a, um, it was a chestnut and it was called Frenchie and I've no idea. I, I don't know. I, I, um, I could picture it, whether Frenchy. it was thoroughbred and, and bred sounds, or not. Sounds like a little bit Yeah. That's so, a nightmare. So what was the injury? What, 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 what happened? I just got quite a serious back injury and, um, found that, um, I'd actually <clears> got a, a broken vertebra that, um, that was there. I was really lucky. It's a stable fracture, which is, is good. So that, that, ver- that vertebral fracture was there. Um, and, and, it apparently existed before, which I only have had one back injury before that, which was right at the start of my army career. Um, but it had been pinged and, and made Goodness worse by, by this one. Um, and my entire right side spasmed. So I ended up with this kind of, it's, it's easy when people say what happened, it's easy to say broke my back far easier because actually it, that's exactly what, what is there and what yeah. had happened. But in my right side spasm and I ended up kind of, um, with with this arm that was stuck up here and, and mm. unable to move it and, and I couldn't move my arm around and also I was walking from my neck so I had to re relearn to walk which was quite interesting took Good. a few months how long yeah. Yeah, sorry yeah how long was recovery uh, I started 
I aimed that I, I knew I was always going to walk again. There was no way I wasn't going to. So you actually uh, weren't able to walk? I was able to walk, but with a stick. Oh, just a, with okay, a stick. Yeah, I needed a stick to walk. Um, so, <clears throat> and, the, and I knew I wanted to run again, and I wanted to ride again, and I wanted to be good at what I could do again. So the boy, Oscar, was amazing, because I would sit down, and he would come out with me for... Um, short walks i was high as a kite on tramadol which is a disgustingly awful drug um and i would have told you i was operating completely normally and i meet people now um who say hi liz how's it going how's the dog how's the back and i'm like i've never met you before in my life i was on quite a high dose of tramadol Mm. um and um so he would come and uh, make me get up off the settee like come on i'm going out for a stroll and he was really good about not running off and bear in mind it was taking me somewhere in the region of about 30 minutes to walk maybe 400 yards it was a, a pretty epic thing mm. and he could have really taken the mickey and he didn't mm. it was amazing um so we would get up quite often in the day to go and do that and yeah so well i reckon they can sense when you're poorly dogs. oh superb yeah, yeah from my experience yeah, with, yeah. With, with the dogs i had <coughs> definitely yeah. just now and they chill, chill out don't they? yeah he was brilliant <coughs> brilliant boy yeah um right so back injury yep which means you didn't go to your unit i didn't i was caught in a little bit of a thing and, and supported by some amazing people and this is where you start to look and you go okay so and i know there's been an awful lot of criticism from some quarters of the way that the army has dealt with the welfare side of people who've been injured now when you bear in mind that i was a civilian injury and so i didn't actually fall into any of that um kind of um post-operational recovery side of the house um and i'd fallen through the cracks between the nhs and the army for a little bit because i'd been treating it treated at nhs hospital and there's this almost assumption that you just kind of get swept up and back into and actually you don't you've got to physically go and go hello i'm here i'm injured and i need some help and so then that takes a little bit of time to ramp up as well um but i was supported fantastically by four or five just brilliant brilliant people within the military within the military um a couple from the unit that was due to go to um who obviously had to take on my caseload um both of whom I count as, as really good friends now, um, JP and, and Pete Beaumont, who were amazing. And then um, when I I ended up going to Tedworth House uh, because I had a bit of a post-traumatic stress response to my injury and I needed a little bit of help to get over that. And in the meantime, I was allowed to live at Tedworth House, which is really unusual. It's the Help for Heroes facility. It's not what it's there for. That's the main one, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's not what it's there for. It's not you're supposed to do a two-week rolling recovery program. And I was basically kept there by um, a guy called Nick Perry, who was the house um, salt major at the time. What year was this? This would have been 2014. See, there's one in uh, Colchester called Shavas. Shavas VC House. Yeah, there is. Yeah. 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 And um, I I was in there. I've got a mate who was in there for flipping heck. Months and months and months. months. I I thought they were... Uh, no, they're supposed to be for a two-week roll and recovery program, ah. but they made exceptions for people. I wasn't the only person who was living there, and basically I had someone who went into bat for me. It was Nick, a guy called Nick Perry, who's a W O two in the Irish Guards, who was mm. the house art major. Now runs his own charity, which sure is super. Name, you, know. you probably do. He's Veterans Lifeline. If you ever see any of my, it's the okay. charity that he yeah. he started run um, and runs and and is doing amazing work, fishing struggling veterans. Out, he calls it out of the fast running water and he's quite right he, he's probably been responsible for preventing I, w- I would say tens if not getting on for hundreds of um, suicides really yeah he's a superb man when and, did he set up the charity 2015 yeah yeah, so, yeah it's good uh, doing really good work um so so he, he basically kept me there and, and allowed me to recover and and then there were some other really good mates around and about 
a mate of mine, Louis, who's currently walking across Antarctica. Um, he is he is utter inspiration. Was brilliant. Um, took the dog to work for me so that I could go and do some rehab or just daft little things. You know, people that who just stepped up and and were superb. And all the guys that came to um, check if I was all right, with the with the notable exception of two from the unit that I was going to, but all the guys that came to check to see if I was all right with the guys who'd worked for me, they were all my juniors and seniors. Oh, really? Yeah. And they were brilliant. And they're all mates now because you, that, that was just amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, what you, you mentioned about the, like the army getting slagged off or uh, the welfare side of things. I think, um, again, it goes back to that. It all depends on who you are, what unit you're in, who's in positions in that unit. And whether you got idiots of everyone, because from a from um, uh, yeah, I think it, I, I think it all depends how you how how your case is is represented. Because because, because, I, because I was a major, I was expected that I would just sort it for myself. Oh really? And that was uh, so when the people went into bat for me, they were f- having to fight really hard Goodness because me. because there's an assumption that because because you're commissioned, you're <clears> able <throat> to deal better with an injury than other people, and actually, when you're poorly, you're just poorly. If you are injured, you are just a person dealing with an injury, and your rank doesn't come into it. It, it really, truly doesn't. You're just you, you're just trying to get through day by day. Um, rank has absolutely no element in that whatsoever. You are just trying to recover, um, and because there is this assumption that well, you're you're obviously intelligent and you're a leader of of men and women. You're like yeah, yeah, that's fine, but I'm actually really poorly at the moment, and I just need a little bit of help and support. Um, and that's the thing that goes missing is people. Mm-hmm. Oh, ridiculous and and there were brigadiers and group captains and and squadron leaders and and wing commanders and and you know lieutenant commanders who were all there all feeling getting that same kind of thing and and the expectation was that they would they would just know how to recover and how to recover well and you don't you just need that support yeah no i agree yeah, yeah. um tell me i, I want to get on to sorry were you yeah, yeah, yeah. fast forward slightly uh, fine cyber security yeah i know i know because <laughs> that it interests me i mean yeah I, so i started to to transition well and this is one of my big things you have to be emotionally divorced from the military you you have to have made that that emotional separation and it's not that you're not loyal to it it's just that you've seen that you want to move somewhere else and you don't feel that it's your all-encompassing need to do and i think to transition well you do that so i started um networking last september september 2017 seriously seriously networking while you were studying yeah yeah I drank an awful lot of coffee. We're drinking some good coffee here today. My coffee tolerance has gone right up, I tell you. And um, so an awful lot of coffee and met an awful lot of great people. A lot, most, mostly um, ex-military actually, who who then feed into the military network. There's a massive military network, um, certainly in, in London, in the big uh, big firms, who are amazing at putting you in contact with people and, to, and suggesting things. And they meet you and they go, oh, do you know what? You could be really good at this. And I remember saying to... Um, guy called al bowman who's um brilliant he works for um deloitte and he turned around and he said have you ever thought about cyber or banking i went don't be ridiculous cyber banking are you mental essentially was what i said not for me and and come you know fast forward to the following july and i take on a job in cyber in hsbc <laughs> what happened what changed your mind what changed my mind a realization that actually i could do it and everything i'd done in the military thus far actually had a real bearing on it um I'd come from the connected unit at um, at Waddington, which was um, the, uh, well, as in it was. Um, so, so we had connections 
to a variety of simulators. So you start looking at protecting that information because the simulator is connected in. You start looking at those connections and whether they're secure. And then you start looking at information protection. So the military is really good at protecting information. Um, and for the last, you know, say 50 or 60 years, that's always been paper, paper um, information and data. And then all of a sudden it's gone electronic and suddenly we're into this cyberspace where everything's kept in, you know, in clouds and whatever. So the protection needs to be there. And and the one thing, the, the military is really bad at saying what we what we think we're bad at and we think we're bad at cyber we think we're bad at you know or we need to get better at procurement we need to get better at this better at that actually the military is pretty good at a lot of those things it's pretty good at project management <clears throat> every single i don't think there are very few people who come out of the military who aren't actually natural project managers for starters because that's what you do you were talking about you know the company uh, or the section commander earlier on He's just managing many projects. That's what he's doing. He's working mm-hmm. out what he needs to do, how he needs to get there, and what the end result is. That's a project. So, um, and you start to look at that, and you start to look at the information security and email hygiene. You know, making sure that you're not taking emails in from outside. You're not sending stuff to your home account. All of that kind of stuff. And suddenly, you're into this cyberspace. And what I was doing at that job was dealing with um, doing a lot of liaison between the defence contractors and what the military were doing and so so civilian firms essentially working with the military when to provide you were at that at, when, when, when I was at, uh, at Waddington <laughs> at that, that unit Six, go on yeah sorry. yeah so actually they, they have their own information protection requirements because they have commercial responsibilities and so you start to look and you go okay so I've got one firm here now their competitor firms are A, B and C so A can come in but only to see that B can come in, but only to see that and C can't come in at all. So you then start to look at how you're protecting that information around and about. And that's only the same as protecting data and what you can do with it and where it goes and all the rest. And and so actually it sits really quite naturally into cyber. Yep. And and there are very, when I started to look at it and, and it took me a couple of months to have that, or it was almost an epiphany of work when I was working there because I was... <clears throat> I was dealing with, I'm dealing with people. I'm dealing with demystifying what we do with the cyber technology and how we make that work for the bank. That's, that's what I do. And all I do is I translate it and I have a load of, um, you know, examples of how, how to do that. So for example, um, the bank recognize, you would recognize a traditional bank robber as being a man, a man typically in a balaclava with a sawn off shotgun coming into a bank. Okay. Well, a cyber criminal is no different. There's still there's still the person who wants to do bad things to get money or data and harm people. Um, it's just that their sawn-off shotgun is a computer these days and they're coming in through a different way. They're still looking to disperse that cash um, in a way that they can get. So they get outside to a getaway driver, that's fine, but their getaway driver is now an electronic means of that. They you know, disperse it through a system and send, and send that money off to a variety of different places if they can. Um, so when you start to look at uh, the, the, the crime, the crime is exactly the same. It's just done in an electronic manner um mm-hmm. so so and it's a, it's a case of saying okay so how do we educate our people so that you know how to shut the front door and put the shutters up how so that, so that they can't get in and, and how do we still enable us to, uh, to conduct our business with that so it's, it's a really interesting space to work in and, and it develops all the time and i don't know it's it's um it just sits quite nicely with the jobs that i've done so is it is it predominantly the human factor you you, you deal you are Running when it comes to cybersecurity, or trying to influence the view. I mean, your role. I, it, I, it, I basically translate what we what we've got technologically wise to understand how we're able to operate, um, and I pass that information to and, and I brief um, the variety of people within within the UK element of the bank. 
got you. Yeah. Got you. It is interesting, especially these days with the blo- um, blockchain and all the rest of it. Um, I won't go. Uh, no, let's not go into that because no, I'm absolutely not expert. I won't. I'll tell you what is really interesting there. I went to a briefing on Estonia um, the other month because blockchain everybody thinks is as, as cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. But blockchain is a way that you can. Um, and cryptocurrency is a, a use of blockchain. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but but that's that's what people think is the main. You know, people go blockchain, <laughs> cryptocurrency. Estonia rewrote their history and stored it in blockchain because they had to when they came out of the Soviet Union because their history had been rewritten for them. So they reclaimed their so so you know taken over by by the USSR. Part of that they've now exited that, and so so that they could um, take over their own history again and take it back and make sure that no one could ever change it ever again yeah. they've written it and it's stored in blockchain mm-hmm. because it's there forever and ever and ever in cyberspace yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating um, study to read it just one of those random <laughs> things you go, that's so clever well that's i mean from, that's the thing with uh with blockchain when you talk about blockchain people think bitcoin but it's not bitcoin it's um i mean blockchain is a technology on which you know Bit- bitcoin's the famous one because it's the first one yeah you know and and the, i mean like the second most uh popular one at the minute is, is uh the second was successful, if you want to put it that way, at the moment is Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And um, I was listening to I was listening to another podcast very enough earlier, um, and mine as well. I mm-hmm. I, I do a bit of mining, and uh, so I'm I I sort of interested in it anyway. Um, one of the facts that came out with uh, Ethereum is that apparently, so take the cryptocurrency side away of it being mm-hmm. used as a monetary value or as as, as money, um, is that the majority of its use, the majority of um, yeah, the majority of its use, Ethereum being used, is by financial institutions and organisations for securing the transactions and and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. I mean, there's all sorts with with it. it, it it's that's one of the things. That, you know, this cybersecurity thing is interesting. Is that a is that um? There's we talked about cloud storage earlier, and going back to there's another there's another uh, use of blockchain. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a cryptocurrency called Seacoin, S I A C O I N. Right, we'll we'll step off this in a minute. To read your brain, kind of goes like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it it's, it's me. fascinating, it isn't me. it? Yeah. And um, so in fact, so yeah, so Seacoin, the way Seacoin works. Well, the, the, if people don't really understand the way blockchain works, so um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I've got an handle on it. Is that uh, we'll take Seacoin as an example. Seacoin is a cryptocurrency, and essentially it's cloud storage. Now, you and I know you got to use Dropbox, Google Drive. You upload a file to Dropbox, it gets stored on the server. Or servers, mm-hmm. a finite number, a very small amount, and uh, and if Dropbox gets gets compromised, then your files get compromised and they're gone, right? Or compromised and they're not gone, but mm-hmm. they've been compromised. And download it, download it again. With Seacoin, um, it's cloud storage, but done over the blockchain network. So when I upload a file, everyone's involved with Seacoin and either mining it or as a, a mm-hmm. share, like a um, a a, a, a computing share of it. I upload my file. It gets distributed to the whole network, mm-hmm. so uh, that file gets split into, for example, a million different parts. And for anyone to access any one of those parts, need to have the key store that mm-hmm. I have, yeah. And only I have it, and it's on my computer. But even so, if someone manages to compromise one of those fifty million parts, mm-hmm. just that part goes. All the other data is not taken. Yeah. So, and if you want to go and try and read that, just let's say it's a Word doc, for example, try, try and read that Word document. Well, you need to try and compromise fifty million. Yeah. users to get all 50 million parts together and decode it and access it yeah go on you're absolutely right the, the, the one thing that there has been which is really interesting is the first um bitcoin hold up which was a knife at somebody's house at knife point 
give us your password and give us your money. That's, yeah. So, so you've had massive amounts of technology, but if you're not if you're not clever with your um, security details and who you are and what you're doing, then you can be compromised in a good yeah. old fashioned manner. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, and, and, and you know they are blockchain, Bitcoin, um, the the kind of crypto side of it. It's mass. It is really really secure, but it can be compromised in a good yeah. old fashioned manner. And, and that's you know that's coming back to you talking about cyber and, and security and all that kind of stuff. Just really daft things. The military is really, really good at being secure. We're, we're naturally paranoid. You know, who's watching us? Why are they watching us? And what are they doing? And actually that kind of, I would call it a healthy paranoia, feeds really nicely into cybersecurity in any forum, not just where I'm working, but you know, sort of every single place is right. Who are we protecting against? Who's trying to get to us? <clears throat> Why are they getting to us? What's their modus operandi? What is it we're, we're protecting against? Standard. And the other thing that's really amused me is I sat down at a desk the other day and it was a leadership thing. And the first thing is, what's the situation and how does it affect me? I was like, oh, seven questions. Oh, but there's only, <laughs> oh, but there's only five there. That's interesting. So they chopped it down to, to yeah. five. And, and that did that did amuse me because it was basically the seven questions just sitting there, and, <laughs> and but but done for for Civi, Civi Street. So you know, this I, I think probably what I'm trying to say is that we have so many transferable skills coming out of the military, and just being able to sell those to a civilian organisation is is key. Because you can get you can get a job anywhere doing anything. Because our skill set is is so unique, and the the ability to add value is is incredible. So if I go to if I'd ever gone to the intelligence corps and said, please, uh, I'd like some information on that, and they'd go and they'd go, all right, okay, so that I'm going to go and look at that. I'm going to go and research it, and they'd go and get me the current information, um, and the so what and what that means for us as a unit, and. That's one thing. <laughs> so we've got information on this, and they go, no, no information on this. Could we go and get some? And 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 that was the difference. Was there was that kind of proaction is is very different in Civvy Street. And mm-hmm. um, I think for me, the biggest shock is realizing that it's just a job. It's just a job for people. It's just and, and really it ought to just be a job for me. And actually, my loyalty is I've got to get it done. I've got to get it done. It's got to be the best of my ability. And 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 certainly, I, I need to just dial that down a little bit because actually my life career is probably done and 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 whilst i'm absolutely thoroughly enjoying and i'm utterly committed to my role and and my job and i will work all hours god sends to make stuff right actually i'm not paid 24 7 anymore and i i can have the ability to have a life because that's healthy that's healthy for me as a person absolutely which is more difficult to do when you get to work at home as well but then but then that's you got to be disciplined (laughs) disciplined. that's an interesting point actually you 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 step out and you when i got out i went into um i went to the middle east and worked out there doing private security and um but then when i left that so i was very much in a military mindset and very much you know, you're working when you're flipping working. Yeah. And if that's 4 a.m., you don't argue with it. You get up when you're working 4 a.m. Yeah. You know, you're getting in at 3 a.m. and then back up at 6. You're just doing it. Because you're with ex-military guys. It's just what you do. And, and it was that kind of environment. Um, Albeit not, obviously, offensive action. It was yeah, security. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then when I came back to the UK, um, I ended up as a uh, corporate health and safety manager for a decently sized company. But I still had the mindset. Um, and it was a lot of it was working from home. Yeah. There was travel involved as well. And when it was, when it was, uh, you know, when it was travel, I think grandma was like, I've got to be there for six hours. You know, uh, Did you get up at four o'clock in the morning to get, because that's my problem. Is, is to w- do- working out, you know, that if I'm traveling on business, actually, unless it's a hard set course, I can make my own time and I can travel on work time. I don't have to be, you know, if, if it was a military thing, 
you go right okay Depends working days to be fair that, that's fair but yeah. but that's what you no, know that's you what you organize is that i don't yeah. always i mean nine times out of ten i am where i need to be for half eight in the morning yeah um and certainly when i go to work in yeah. in my usual office i'm absolutely there and i'm there well ahead of time but um just this realization that actually the expectation is that your travel time is part of your working day you <laughs> look so it is. Whereas before, I'd always say, right, okay, so I've got to be somewhere at eight. That means I probably need to be there at half seven to get in through the gate. So therefore, I need to be up at this. It's a difficult one to get past. Thing. It goes against your principles. Mm-hmm. It really does. As well, what you think then is, well, I've got, that means I've got less time to achieve the aim if I'm going to leave at 8.30 because <laughs> I'm done working day starts. I'm getting until half 10 or whatever. Yeah. And I'm also going to say with when I, when I came back, I was doing that working from home thing, which is great. I thought I'd struggle with it, but it was great because I'd get into routine. But I'd find myself, you know, I, I'll naturally wake up early and I'd be up at six. Mm-hmm. I start working at six, but then I, yeah, the way I'd play it off my head, I can have, I'll have a break when I want because I'm doing over the hours anyway. Yes, exactly. And then like seven p.m., you work at seven p.m., sending emails or reading documents or writing documents, or whatever, and it gets to that stage. But I so, find myself at night. It's ill in the evening. That's when I sit there and go, "Oh, I've got nothing else to do. I'll just do a bit of work." But you know why that is? One of the reasons. So your brain's more. Your brain is more um, uh, creative at mm-hmm. night. It's more logical in the morning. Right. So I, I and I realised that, and I, I read that somewhere, and I sort of realised retrospectively. In fact, it's when I was working in the Middle East, I'm, I've got a bit of an entrepreneurial uh, streak to me, mm-hmm. which is which is all right if you can control it. But when you sort of got a, a bank of money and you're like doing a twelve-hour stint as a security manager on a shift, and there's not much flipping neck. I would I got to the stage where I I wake up next morning after shift, yeah, and uh, I go, what the, f- what's this? And you remember like purchases have made <laughs> websites being bought company names being registered and think, what the f- that idea is never going to work so i literally teach me even even to this day yeah. if i come up with an idea in the evening it's sleep on it yeah and then i wake up 90 percent of the time next morning and go you are flipping mental because i remember how logical it was to me the night before I yeah in the morning yeah so you're more creative at, your brain's more creative at night and it's more logical in the morning so mm. you know you're working at night is when Sometimes you do some of your best work. Writers, a lot of them will say the yeah. night owls because at night time they do some of their best work. And that's just the way the brain is. It's the way we evolved. But um, where's it going with that? Ah, so going back, you was we were talking about, or you were talking about, um, you know, getting you talking about the, the your role you're in now and and you and uh, realizing your the ability that you have and the the, the transferable skills you get in the military and sort of being able to bring that to market mm-hmm. that's one side of it is that you a person realizing what they're capable of and i completely agree with you there's another side to it is getting is 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 finding an organization that has that um opinion as well and the kind of organizational people that are are, are more willing to um, have a, a more equal approach to well, you got someone here with the with degrees coming out of the years, not much life experience, and they've got the, the qualifications, and you got someone here who's done loads of that stuff. For example, project management, a lot of life experience, um, but I've got the qualifications. But this is where you sell yourself before you get there, and and it's why a CV is only really <clears throat> part of it. Um, I said I did a lot of networking, um, and I mm. approached every single networking meeting as an interview. I dressed as though I was going for an interview. I went with the expectation that I was going to be grilled in the same way as I would be at an interview. So essentially, by the time I met my now boss, who I met at a network, it was a um, a military internship event um, at HSBC. And I remember sitting there going, crikey, this is very grey and very masculine. <laughs> crikey. And my boss is female. She's wearing bright pink. Um, and she's really, really dynamic uh, lady, great leader. Um, and we had a, 
and Natta and she she saw something in me which was great and so I was given the opportunity to apply for a job role that came up which was just absolutely superb which I then got when I was interviewed through the process so I went through the process um, and had to supply my CV and had to fit all of the you know tick the various boxes um, but if I hadn't have networked to that I would never actually have applied for it in the first place so that that was the thing but this is when networking comes in and, and making sure that you're not just um, networking in your comfort zone actually as well I went I applied or wrong I was, I was offered three jobs one of which was in a defense contractor which was my it was my soft landing because it was sitting in my area it was sitting in air defense it was my area of expertise it would have been amazing to work with the guys because one of them I'd worked in fact both of them I'd worked with before one of them had been my um sergeant major instructor when I was going through gunnery instructor training um the other one had been a corporal within the training wing who who had also known on telex so people that I known a very long time it would have been amazing to work with them I wanted to get out of the defence environment though, mm. and I wanted to work separately and prove that I could actually was a little bit a part of it. I was offered a role with um, a consultancy, um, again, consulting back into defence as well. Um, and that again, but that job would have been great. And the guy who interviewed, who, who interviewed me, who I would have been working for um, was absolutely superb. And, and I, I was very, that surprised me that because I'd actually used that entire process as a bit of a practice because it, it was the first interview process I'd been through. And I kind of went, oh, well, we'll see how far we get. Mm -hmm. And then they offered me the job. I was like, okay, <laughs> um, right. And, and they all three came up within 10 days of one another as well. So I had quite a choice to make about whether I went for the easy option or which one I went for. And I actually chose the one that was more challenging for me, which is the one that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm the, 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 the networking side completely agree with you. And I, I, Back when um when I when I left, uh again got that entrepreneurial streak, I ended up setting up I set up a website, like a, a, a website where it was to show I sort of understood early on about the the power of the network inside. Every job I've ever had up until this up to this day, with the exception of one, has been through um um direct communication with someone. They they know me. Yeah. Or I or or I've met them previously, or it's been referred. That's network. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those jobs haven't been because I applied on a flipping website. No. You know, it hasn't been. There's been one like that. Um, it's really key, and I think it's a thing that people miss. And the reason they miss it, and, and it's something that I'm, I'm, and I keep saying I'm going to, and I absolutely am going to do this, is go back to the resettlement people at, at Waddington particularly because I said to people what I was doing and I was booking loads and loads of networking appointments I was banging from one to the next to the next making real use of my resettlement time and and the trouble is everybody goes oh you need to network and then they don't tell you what networking is and I was really lucky because I was taken um I said about the guy Al Bowman who works for Deloitte he took an hour out of it I went to a, a military event at Deloitte and I sat there and he was a person that struck a chord with me he said people hire people and I went yeah, absolutely. That makes sense to me. I'll contact him. So I LinkedIn contacted him and then asked if we could chat. Um, and or in fact, I asked if we could meet for a coffee um, and so to have that kind of talk. And he said, well, look, I'll phone you. And he gave me an hour of his time on a Friday afternoon. And it was just the most valuable piece of time where he said, right, OK. And he went through what he'd done, what his mistakes have been. But he also went through networking. He said, you know, need to know, you need to meet people for coffee. And then follow it up and just make sure that you follow up every connection. I went, that makes so much sense. And that's the thing that you don't get told. You go, all right, you need to network. And, and no one says, right, Casey, okay, so you need to go out and meet 
people you need to then arrange to meet them for coffee because you what you're after from them is the introduction and the idea and then you need to follow it up with a thank you or a make you know you make yourself a little bit unique so i'll said you know send people a card to say thank you for their time like oh that's a really clever idea because it's something you would naturally do to be polite but you don't think it's appropriate in that circumstance mm. but actually you're suddenly doing something that's unique and people remember you so so you end up with that that thing and basically what i would my advice to anybody transitioning out of the military is you you first of all make sure that you know that you're leaving mentally know that you're leaving um, because the military is really bad at holding on for people and the people that don't succeed are the ones who hanker after the career that they could have had or think they mm -hmm. should still have um and and i think that certainly at um before you before you hit wo one i think there's an element of in the last two years of service there's always that carrot of well you might get promoted and you might stay and and that can be right up to the last four months and that's that doesn't give you that opportunity to to make your emotional detachment and start to think yeah i am actually leaving because i, I don't know about you and how fast your career went my 20 years flew by mm -hmm. and doesn't seem like 20 years in any way shape or form and all of a sudden there wasn't you know oh, big wide world um so yeah networking and and just making sure that when you meet someone for coffee you are there you're on point you're treating it like an interview um you meet for coffee you you have questions that you want to get answered and and you start to try and work out where you want to go and what you want to do and then when you get offered introductions and they get they email you because they're brilliant the, the people are brilliant at, at, at trying to get you into jobs because they want to and they'll email you and you email them back straight away you know with the thank you with the arrangement you know working out when you could meet them or when you can meet for a chat and, and just being really proactive about it and then and it, it's all about that part of the networking and the fact that you have to get your coffee tolerance really really high <laughs> really high to do it but but that's the stuff that doesn't get you don't get told you just expect it to know that um and it makes real sense when somebody says, yeah, just, you, you follow up every lead. You go back to it. You don't just leave it. You don't just go, oh, that person's emailed me. That's great. And then leave it three weeks. You've got to follow up and you've mm. got to be really proactive. And that's the way you transition well out of, out of the military. Yeah. And it's also the way you get into jobs because if you enter the CV sift, you will be there forever and ever and ever. You need to not, you need to be not entering that CV sift or yeah. given the recommendation. Most of, Most of the large firms have recommendation schemes. And so if you're doing the recommendations, then you know, if you get an employee recommendation, then you will get, you will nine times out of 10 get an interview out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, I mean, there is a, there's, um, is it, I think, is it the difference? Well, yeah. What you're saying is bang on. There's two, and there's two, four, there's two signs of networking is mm -hmm. the, is that where you're, you're one on one in yeah. with those connections that you may have met through other connections that you started following up with. They haven't, you haven't spoken to them for five, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And your first email isn't, have you got any jobs? It's, uh, <laughs> I say brew, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Just after some advice. After some advice. After some advice. And, and that's the thing is you don't, you don't go, I want a job. You go, I'm after some advice. Can I pick your brain? You need to start well before. You Absolutely. Know? Um, uh, but then the other side is the sort of the networking events, like you were saying. I mean, it's the, for, for, especially for not at non-commissioned officers or to, like privates getting out, they they have that, they have that networking and they have that stun and they get into a room. I've seen it a million times because I've got, I've got a, a, a mate who started up an, an organisation called Leavers Link. <clears throat> free service, free service leaver networking events, basically. Okay. And uh, I say I've seen it a million times. I've seen it several times when I've been able to go along and there's always a couple of people who are by the door walking and stood there looking and they don't know what to do. You know, um, and it, it, it doesn't matter... So let's go back to the CV system. From on that lower end of the scale, 
lower in terms of lower time in the military yeah, yeah lower time lower 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 rank on the chain yeah. they invariably have less con- less less professional connections um and they will end up having to do that cv sift i know i did mm-hmm. and the way people a bit the same principles apply what you're saying people employ people so if you've got a if you've got um if a recruiter's got two cvs in front of them and that recruiter and those two cvs are exactly the same on paper mm. exactly same exactly same age exactly same gender exactly same, yeah, not, yeah. That can, uh, not that you can not take gender right you can see saying exactly yeah, the same yeah. hypothetically speaking but that recruiter spoke to someone on the phone mm-hmm. because someone on the phone rang up and said i sent you a cv and yesterday did you check and you got it yeah i did and they sound like and, they, and that person yeah. sounded pleasant on the phone even just this yeah. the recruiter is going to choose they they the influences them. They're going to choose the one who they spoke to the phone. It's sounding nicer. Yeah. Same as if they spoke to someone in a networking room and they, uh, in a room, and, they, and and you've and I've met someone. I've met a million people that night, and I'm following up with all the people like did. Absolutely. And they say, I've got a, and they say, I've got a role. We've got a role here. Send your CV or send your CV over. Well, they may not know from you, Adam, but do you know what? They spoke to you. Correct. So they know you. One, you're confident enough to speak to just speak to someone. Yeah. And again. They haven't spoken to half uh, the other people. Have. And I've heard you're talking about it happening. I've, I heard it happen at two or three of the events that I went to, and my heart broke for the people that were speaking because they go, uh, "Well, I'm seeing there's a lot of officers here, and uh, you know, I'm only a and staff sergeant, mm. warrant officer, flight sergeant, sergeant. I'm only a." And it's like, no, no, no. If you're going to transition, you are never <coughs> only at anything. If you have achieved anything, you are in the army i am a and and it's a case of knowing that you are valuable regardless because what people do is to see themselves off straight away by because everyone's oh, they've got no confidence and and they they see themselves as you know below and and in and it's a case of going into those events feeling that you are equal to the task and to the, everybody else that's in there and in fact knowing that you are you know, and 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 seeing yourself off because you kind of go, oh crikey, everybody else here is a. Oh, I mm. think I've I've made an assumption that everybody here is commissioned, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna say, you know, I'm only a such and such. Am I employable? It's like, well, well, actually, mate, no, because you've seen yourself off by saying I'm only a, which shows that you don't have the confidence in your own ability. Mm-hmm. And and my heart broke for the guy that did that because he'd have been brilliant. And when I chatted to him afterwards, you're like why did you say that you, went, oh, you know just trying to be honest it's like no 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 you sell yourself i am a you know i am a middle manager i've you know been in charge of this many people i've done this many projects and, and it's and that's where you have to you have to fake that confidence and but you have to know that you're equal and i said to you earlier on about the gender and diversity thing I had, a chat, I had a chat with a whole load of um, ladies who work in insurance because women typically are really bad at saying what we're good at. You know, people go, you know, you're so good at that. Oh, don't be so silly. I'm not. And, and that's that's kind of a very female thing to do. Um, but I never felt at any point that I wasn't equal. I wasn't equal to the people that I was working with. Um, and And I didn't change to fit in. People change their assumption about me, whether for good or bad. I don't really care whether you know whether whether they rated me or not. To be honest, I had a, I had a really really great twenty years, um, but um, but I never felt that I wasn't equal. Doesn't mean, I didn't, and I said this to you earlier. Didn't mean that you don't have those times of going crikey, I'm not sure I can do that. But I never felt that I wasn't equal in, in where I was, and that was the way I've approached all of my um, networking. Is that I didn't ever think that I wasn't equal to the people that were there. And in some cases, I looked at it and gone, oh crikey, it's a one star okay 
we're both going to be civvy soon. So, you know, and, and actually, by the way, he's 10 years older than I am. So he's got a far greater mountain to climb because actually you've got to come out. I, I know of a one star who went into one of the large organizations who went, he went, Christ, he said, I work all hours God sends because I used to know what to do instinctively. He said, and no, I don't. And I'm up against all these graduates who know exactly what they're doing. He said, and I'm, I'm really you know, I'm really struggling mm. to, to keep my head above water there. And I thought, yeah, I can see that. And actually, so if you go to these events, you know, everybody is on a, an equal level. And that's one of the really big, really big things that I want to take back to um, the career transition people is to say, look, you know, got to empower people so they don't come out with an I'm an only, only uh, because, because they're not. If you've been in the military, you have so many transferable skills. And I was so surprised to see what they are. And you, you sit there and go, oh, so, so you don't do that already then? Oh, oh, okay, fine. Well, I know how to do that. So how about I just, you know, I, you can have an influence in so many different areas. Mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's uh, trying to conv- um, trying to convince, or uh, to, trying to show people getting out that, that you know, they have those transferable skills and they, they'll hear that on the... I and they don't believe it. it. You've got transferable skills. Yeah, but they, they just don't know. It's not that as well. They don't know. True. It's like you can't, you, you can't... You, You've got no measure... Yeah, you yeah. don't know what flipping a project manager is until you step out and you and you sort of you know you, you you've been a couple of years in it and you actually really start to understand what project managing is or yeah. like you're saying like information security management you you, you talked mm. about earlier it's um and and how you can apply your skills to that it takes a while to really understand it but um it, giving that confidence to someone to be able to understand that the potential is there. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah, it's a shame there isn't a longer amount of time for you know the Korean transition stuff to be able to do that, to be able to show people that. It's um, but if I, I mean, thinking about it now from what you're saying, um, maybe, uh, maybe a major part or one of the biggest parts of your career transition should be or could be networking. You know, all right. So if you got, th- I mean, mine was mine was only, my workshop was only three days. Yeah. Now. If one day that was like a CV workshop, maybe, and then put me on to someone or a mentor or whatever, which would be CV stuff. And the other two days was networking event, networking event. Yeah, imagine like a road trip, yeah. like bang, 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 I mean, just chuck straight because in. Because they offer they offer up CV workshops, they're great. And actually, I was quite surprised by what was on offer with CCP because I'd heard <coughs> I heard d- differing reports. <laughs> and and actually, the one I went to was was brilliant. Um, and and of course, they offer these kind of career fairs and stuff, which is basically. I was so frustrated by the ones I went to. Um, the ones I went to locally were very much looking for engineers. Um, and I didn't want an engineering job. I'm, a, I'm pretty much a people person. And even though I'm in a tech job, I'm, it's a people job. I do an awful lot of people interaction and, and um, you know, t- speaking to people. I don't sit there data bashing all day. I, I take the products of that and report it to other people but um, and, and fuse the information where I need to. But um, I went to this one and... and um, there were an awful lot of flight sergeants looking to, and chief techs looking ex flight sergeants and chief techs looking to hire people who were like them. And of course, I turned up. It was a lovely summer's day. I was wearing my civvy um, outfit, so I was in my I was in a skirt and looked pretty female, as opposed you know, as opposed to what they were expecting to see. And they kind of looked me up and down and went, oh, "I'm not sure we've got anything for you." And I said, "All right, okay." So you know, <laughs> what, what? And, and the trouble is, that's like a red rag to a ball for me. <laughs> <laughs> particularly when I'm not really found anything that I wanted to speak about oh, okay so fine so what do you do and they, and they went well you know what's your career been and I said well I was no defense missile instructor I said do you not have anything in that and at that point they're like oh, all right okay fine <laughs> and and 
I had no wish to work in that really. And and whilst I'd, you know, I was offered a job within that sphere, it wasn't the one that I wanted. But I thought, yeah, right, okay, I'm going to waste your time because yeah. you made it, you made an assumption about me by looking at me. And I, and I think we have to be, you know, people have to be very careful about that because coming out now, there's a diverse group of people hitting Civvy Street, male, female, whatever people identify as. And they're amazing. There is just this brilliant skill set. And for them to sit there expecting to see themselves coming in is really short-sighted because they'll miss out on the innovation and, and there are plenty of innovative people coming out of the military mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah especially well, yeah yeah especially the last few years yeah yeah it's interesting i'm looking at the time and uh we've been going for almost an hour and a half wow i know yeah flies by <laughs> um so how long have you been in the new job since july enjoying it That's yeah me. yeah i am it's a challenge there are challenges every day um, and I learn new stuff every day. And that's the one thing. It's a proper matrix organization trying to work out how everything fits in. is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I've had real help to navigate it. And it's, it's yeah, really, really quite good. If yeah. uh, from, so in your line of work from the, from the cybersecurity point of view, but also the, like, well, you mentioned project management and all mm -hmm. that. For, well, let's say cybersecurity. How, if people listening to this or watching it are thinking, oh, I have to have a look into that. Where where would you suggest they go and take a look? Or there's a variety of people offering training courses. Um, ex militaries, uh, ex military um, firms offer, offering training courses, then an ability to get into um, cybersecurity okay. as a result. Um, to be honest, I'd have a look into it and work out how you fit in. But also, um, cybersecurity incident response teams. Every single one of the big banks has them. I imagine that every single um, large organization has one because data security and breaches and everything else is mm. so massive i would say if, look at the incident response teams because if you've ever run an ops desk been in ops generally if you've ever had to fuse information um been a watchkeeper, for example mm -hmm. where you've taken in um, or or you've taken in information you've worked out what's happening you've fused it together and then you've briefed somebody else singlers then, sounds like then nearly you can, every single single event. Yeah, yeah, yeah then you, yeah. then you can run an incident response team if if something's <clears> going on, and whether that be um, a cyber incident or a fraud incident or um, a criminal incident within you know any, anything that happens, because there's a variety of different things. So cyber security feeds into a variety of things. So cyber might be the way in, but actually it might end up being fraud, um, or it's straight theft or or whatever. But f to run an incident to work out what's happening, that is absolutely it's a, it's an operation center if you've ever worked in ops anywhere and you've fused information or you've been responsible for and um, well any of the guys that worked in the the joint fire cells they were fusing information to work out where they needed to have an effect mm -hmm. and that is exactly the same as they do in any of those so that's a really easy way into cyber security so any of the operations team anything like that it's, it's there's heaps of stuff going on in that space and it's growing all the time mm -hmm. um if you're looking to do any startup stuff i know that there's a um, an organization working with the National Cybersecurity Center to give tech startups. So looking on the government websites is a really good thing as well, which, I, which really surprised me. But because it's such a growth area that they're, they're massively trying to work. They're just trying to create um, the space for people to be able to innovate, people with, with ideas to be able to innovate and to link in so they can use that expertise to their their. Um, to, to the benefit of the greater good if you like so the government websites and definitely just look and see what what the large organizations are doing 
the same way. I mean, I said no to banking. I said, oh, no, no, I don't want to work for a bank because I just, I made this really daft thing. Oh, it's money. And then you look and you go, well, of course they've got an entire setup. So they've got an HR setup. They've got an engineering setup. There is an IT setup. Everything that you, everything that you found anywhere, if has to run a large organization. So just because the front layer, is something you're not interested in. There are so many other functions within it, um, and, you know, from ad- admin all the way through to buildings, you know, CRE. Mm-hmm. We we have a CRE. That, that just amused me. I'm like, Commander Royal Engineers? No, no, it's obviously not that. It's commercial real estate. <laughs> but if you've been involved in maintenance of buildings, mm-hmm. you go and work in there. And, and yeah. just, you know, every single large organization's got one. And, and that's the key is to look and go, okay, so where's my read across in that large organization? Cool. You add value everywhere. Good advice. Good advice. Shameless plug opportunity. Anything you want to mention? Anything or anything at all? Um, I think John Egan Trust is one thing. I think Veterans Lifeline is another. Mm. Um, I mentioned Nick doing amazing um, work and check out his website definitely. He, um, like I say, a- actively preventing veterans from committing suicide, which is really keen mm. and just trying to help people get back on their feet. Um, and uh, just a great great charity um who else would i plug i think probably rugby for heroes for the amount they've done in my, <laughs> <laughs> and 353 as well yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess yeah. just doing all all the standard because they've been in uh, to have been involved with them over the last few years has been superb yeah yeah cool thank yeah. you very much for your time yeah, thank you very much oh and oscar thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Another shout out to our sponsors, Becky's Brownies, beckysbrownies.co.uk, Team Rubicon UK, so teamrubiconuk.org, helping out the people of Palu in Indonesia and also looking for great shirt volunteers, teamrubiconuk.org. And finally, Westway Nissan, westwaynissan.co.uk, the UK's largest Nissan dealership in the UK. Up to 20% off new and used vehicles for ex-military or serving personnel. Until the next time, out.